0: This is Chapter 3 of the audio podcast, The Holocaust in Hungary, subtitle It Can Happen Here. Picking up at the end of Chapter 2, Winston Churchill cut off diplomatic relationship with the Hungarian government in April of 1941. The Prime Minister of Hungary, Prime Minister Bardassi, fairly new, met with Ribbentrop and Hitler and was completely overtaken by the Nazi ideology. The Jewish problem did not exist only in Hungary, but it is a problem of Europe. As I read this, I'm reading the text that George wrote in his own words in most cases, and therefore some of the diction is not exactly perfect English, but I chose to leave it in. I also, as an editorial comment, want you to notice what happens when a government separates their will from the people and does what's expedient or responds to blackmail or what's politically correct. All of these laws were opposed by the general public, but it was going to get worse, much worse. The next step that took place was they treated the Jews as a different race. So the first thing they wanted to do was stop the Jews from mixing with Hungarians or any other non-Jews. The upper house of parliament was demanding a solution to the Jewish problem right away. They wanted all the Jews to leave Hungary as soon as possible and immigrate to Palestine or anywhere else. The only trouble was that no other country was available for millions of immigrants in Europe or anywhere on earth. The big powers like the United States and England did not want to hear about the problem of the European Jews. In England, antisemitism was already high. The British aristocracy did not want to lower themselves to the high class Jewish society. In the United States, antisemitism existed too. American Jewish society probably was willing to help, but without help from the government, they did not know how. Spain showed some willingness to accept some Jewish immigrants temporarily, but everything was going way too slow, while thousands of Jews were dying every day unnecessarily. Again, editorial comment. What was happening in Hungary to the Jews came much after it already started in Germany. They had been being persecuted in Germany since the mid-30s. Okay, back to his story. Even the Vatican decided to continue its silence, rejecting any appeal on the ground that the denunciation of the Nazis by the Pope, Pius XII, would result in more rather than fewer deaths. The Holy Father never felt obligated to speak out. We don't want to say that if the two big powers, USA and England, would not have dragged their feet to help until time ran out, that that would have stopped the occurrence of the Holocaust. No, it would not entirely but it certainly would have lessened the approximately six million massacred Jews and non-Jews to a very smaller number, probably a few hundred thousand. After the war, most of the guilty Nazis and people who helped them brutally massacre millions of Jews and other people were tried and executed or sent to prison. But history does not mention the statesmen or politicians who were accused of committing crimes of negligence by not helping to save millions of lives who were savagely murdered during the Holocaust. Before 1940, Hitler wanted all the Jews out of Germany. Later on, they set up ghettos and the concentration of the Jews started. By that time, Hitler changed his mind and the Nazis started to set up concentration camps. Hitler decided the final solution to the Jewish problem will be the destruction of the entire Jewish population in Europe. In other countries like Romania, Jews were killed by the thousands with the knowledge of the government. Beginning in 1941, although there were several restriction orders, the life of Jews in Hungary was not in danger. Hitler kept the pressure on the Hungarian regent von, Bor- von Horthy to bring the Jewish problem to a final solution. He wanted all the Jews from Hungary deported to German labor camps. But the regent already was informed about the so-called labor camps and no amount of pressure under no amount of pressure was he willing to answer that request. His answer was still no to Dr. Edmund Wiesmayer. Hitler demanded that Hungary should send military forces to Galatia for occupational purposes. Since part of Galatia was annexed to Hungary already, the Regent von Horthy agreed to send four brigades to Galatia in middle of June 1941. Editorial note here, Galatia covers the eastern part of Poland and the western part of Ukraine at that time. The next section heading is witnessing the Nazi brutality during the war. And I'll make an editorial note. From here on, this gets very hard to listen to. George didn't hesitate to show the brutality of war. On June 16, 1941, when my army unit was ordered to move up to the northern border of Hungary, the whole of Europe was in a big turmoil. The German Nazi forces had taken over a big part of Europe already. My unit was supposed to be part of the occupational forces in Galicia, But after the war broke out, everything changed. Just before we crossed into the border, Germany declared war against Russia on June 22, 1941, and the invasion started right away. Hitler's aggression caught the Russian government off guard. As a former ally of Germany, Russia was not yet ready to launch a war against Germany's updated war machines. Hitler had the advantage of a new and most sophisticated air force and Russia had long distance in her favor. Hitler, by taking over France and several smaller European countries, weakened his military strength due to occupational forces. Although in the following days after the war was declared, Italy, Finland, Romania, and Slovenia sent troops to help the Wehrmacht and Hitler tried to put pressure on the Hungarian regent von Horthy to declare war against Stalin's regimes, he wanted them to send military forces to the front line. The regent hesitated because he wanted to keep Hungary out of the war and stay neutral, but his effort to do this did not last long. On June 26, 1941, unmarked warplanes carried out an air attack over a northern Hungarian city, Kasa. The loss and damage were inconsequential because they did not drop the bombs in a populated area, but on fields and farmlands. Still, the people were upset and scared, and they demanded revenge to rage war against communist Russia. Members of the parliament were called up for an emergency meeting. The majority of them voted for war, and the next day, Hungary declared war against Russia. Up until now, only a very few people knew that those, those unmarked warplanes throwing bombs on Kasa were not Russian, but unmarked German warplanes. That was the way Hitler tricked Hungary into the war to participate actually against the Russians. Hitler acknowledged a motion from Hungary to declare war with Moscow, and the regent did not have any more excuses to delay the joint venture. Regent Von Horthy sent one motorized division, a fast division, to join Hitler's 17th division to fight against communist Russia. They pushed the Russian military forces back over a thousand kilometers, and by October 30th, 1941, they stopped at the Donyek River my division was following the 17th and 19th German divisions through Poland and Russia. On July 21, 1941 about a hundred kilometers from the city of Stanislaw, a German tank SS unit stopped us. Their leader, Captain Erich Schwarzkopf, tried to give orders to the Hungarian soldiers to fill up his tanks from our fuel supply. Naturally they refused to obey the order. The situation turned red-hot And the Nazi captain still wanted our fuel for his tanks. He had no concern about what we were going to use for our own vehicles. The incident almost ended in a disaster. Although we were facing machine guns, we still had to go by the regulations and take orders only from our commanding officer. Then suddenly, our major pulled up behind the Nazis with a machine gun unit. For a few seconds, nothing happened. Then the SS command captain ordered his men to lower their guns. He apologized, and they left. I can tell you for a few seconds, not one but all of us were sweating like horses under heavy loads. We kept moving and by the end of July 41 we reached Stanislaw, populated by women, children and mostly old men. The Russians took all the young men and those who were able to work. After the German military went through, they took all the leftovers and almost all the Jews. We were stationed in Stanislaw for a couple weeks. There was one store in the town, like a small general store. It was owned and operated by a Jew. His name was Sam Moskowitz. He was in his early 50s, had a wife and a daughter who were helping him take care of the business. Looking back on those days, I still can't understand why the Nazis didn't take him and his family away sooner. During our two weeks of stationing, we learned a lot about Sam and his family and their problems. I spent quite a bit of time with them. And after the third day as we were stationed there I was invited and had supper with him every evening as long as we were there. His daughter Becky in her early 20s was an extremely cute girl and I will never forget those days as long as I live. On the second week of our being there our trucks were loaded again with medical supplies and other things for the troops ahead of us. We were ready to pull out the next morning. The night before Sam came over to my quarters just before supper time I was really not surprised when he told me through the underground he heard that the Germans were going to pick up all the remaining Jews in the town the next morning. He asked me if I could do something about that. I knew that the trucks that brought the supplies to us to take to the front would be starting back to Hungary the next morning. It took me a couple of hours to work out a plan with the home-going unit. They agreed to take three Jewish families, 11 people, to Hungary or some other safe place. During the night, Sam and two of his friends loaded some food and drink from his store into the trucks. The rest of their families gathered in my quarters until they were ready to leave. All the trucks were covered with heavy canvas and strapped down all around. Nobody could look inside without opening the rear flap. The trucks were taking damaged medical equipment and other repairable stuff back with them. One of the trucks had to take two recuperating soldiers back home. During the darkness of the night, We put all 11 of them on the trucks. The men had to put on some old uniforms. The women and children were hiding behind old canvases and other junk. It was almost daybreak when they started to pull out. I watched them moving away. They had to pass through a German checkpoint. Although the Germans did not have the authority to check our military vehicles, we never knew what the Nazis would do. The drivers left the rear flaps open on the trucks, showing they had nothing to hide. A couple Wehrmacht soldiers just glanced at the rear of the first four trucks. There were 24 of them, and then they did not bother to look anymore. Later the same day, before we started to move out, we saw three soldiers going house to house trying to round up Jews. They found very few. When we saw that, a warm feeling came over us, knowing that we were able to save a few people from certain death. The German military was moving fast, gaining more territories from the Russians. The military forces of the satellite nations, like Italy, Romania, and Hungary, kept moving with them. Due to the rapid advance of the German military, some problems started to show up. Although the troops and most of the military supplies were transported by railways, it still left the question how to get some other supplies to the front line without delays. Since each satellite nation had to take care of its own fighting force, And those who were right behind them, like doctors, nurses, hospital equipment, mechanics, etc. The railways could not take care of all the requirements. The distance was getting longer each day. Due to that fact, the Hungarian government decided to cut the distance in half between the front line and homeland. They used fast-moving motorized units to take the supplies halfway. The other motorized units picked them up and took them to the front line. The homebound unit picked up the sick and wounded and took them to the nearest hospital or back home. Those with minor injuries stayed in the field hospital. Our 24 truck convoy loaded with ammunition and different supplies was moving towards a destination. All of a sudden, an SS unit coming from the opposite direction stopped us. Then we were told that it would be two to four hours delay for us because of necessary road repairs ahead of us. That was very like a very strict order, which meant that nobody moves. We could not move any, anyhow because they blocked the road with their tanks. When a commanding officer asked them if they needed any help, the SS captain very arrogantly and positively said no, and that was an order. He left, but about 200 feet in front of us, two tanks took the positions with their guns facing towards us. We knew right away that something was very wrong but we were pinned down, unable to do anything. After a while, we used the military field glasses to peer through the canvas opening of a truck, and we spotted the reason for the delay. What we saw stopped the blood circulation in our bodies. This was the first time since the war started that we witnessed that kind of senseless brutality. About one and a half kilometers ahead of us, we saw an almost endless line of people digging the ground. Behind them, facing the ditch diggers, were several machine gun units. The digging went on three to four hours. Then suddenly we heard the machine gun start to bark, and the people who were digging the ditch started to fall into it. Due to the distance, we could not hear their voices or anything else. In 20 minutes or so, everything was over. Then the bulldozers started to cover up the whole massacre. Some of those people were still alive when the tanks pushed the dirt over them and packed it down. Later on, we heard about the shaky reason for the massacre. SS Captain Dieter Holtz was complaining that in a nearby town, someone took a shot at him. We knew it was a lie because no one would be stupid and crazy enough to do such a thing. In retaliation, the Nazi SS units emptied the camp's occupants, about 2,000 people. All Jews, who were waiting to be transferred to the Warsaw Ghetto. They were massacred in an inhumane manner for the reason that the SS Captain Holtz could not line up enough boxcars for the transportation of the Jews. I'm positive he was rewarded by his superiors for his efforts to carry out his Fuhrer's wishes. Later on, during the war, the Nazis were killing Jews and others by hundreds of thousands with machine guns just because the gas chambers could not kill the Jews fast enough. Although we did not know any of those massacred people and none of us was hurt physically, but witnessing the inhumane terror left all of us speechless for a long time. After a while, when the machine gun units pulled back, the SS captain came to us and was surprisingly nice and polite. He apologized for the delay and told us that the road is fixed and we can continue on our mission. I cannot describe the feeling that came over us most of us were in our early 20s, and some of the soldiers had been in the military for only two to three months. After basic training, we were sent to the war zone. Those kids did not understand what was happening, and witnessing merciless brutality left deep scars in all of us. Towards the end of August, our truck convoy drove through the city of Kamenek Podolski. Just a couple of km- kilometers past the city, we had put up some tents and waited for another motorized unit to catch up with us kamenek Podolski was a ghost town. You knew that there were people in there, but you could not see anybody outside the houses. On the second day of our stationing there, a boy about 10 years old came up to our place. The guard brought the kid into the camp. He did not speak Hungarian, only Polish. Since I talked Polish myself, we did not have any problem. He told us that some of them in the town were Polish Jews, but fleeing from the Nazis, they went to Hungary. He brought a piece of paper with him which had Hungarian writing on it. The note said, We are Hungarian Jews, mostly from the southeast part of Hungary, from the cities of Garany and Zorgo, etc. We are hungry and some of us are sick. We beg you, in the name of God, if you are able to help us, please do so. Three of us drove back to the city to find out what is going on over there. We never heard that any of the Jews were deported from Hungary while we were there. While we were home. When we got over there, a man and woman came out of one of the houses. They had no clothes on, only a piece of rag hanging down in front of their waist. They told us there were about 20,000 of them in the city, most of them Jews, but some were gypsies, and about 18,000 of them were from Hungary. The rest of them were Polish. The Hungarians were from different cities in Hungary. They were rounded up by local police with the help of the gendarmes. None of them had Hungarian citizenship because they fled their native countries, Poland and Romania, in fear of the locals and the German Nazis. There were two Hungarian sisters I knew personally. The last time I saw them, they were nightclub dancers in Budapest at the end of 1940. They left the capital in early 41 because they didn't feel safe there. Unfortunately, they chose the wrong city. All of them were almost nude. After all that humiliation, it didn't bother them very much. They lost their feelings a long time ago. The girls told me that after they were rounded up by the Hungarian authorities, they were transported to the Hungarian border to the city of Korozmizo. Then they were turned over to the German military. They were believing that the Nazis will take them to a labor camp. After they arrived in Kamenek Podolski. The Nazis told them they will be transferred to the ghetto after the trucks arrive. None of that was true. The Nazis deliberately took their clothes to avoid any chance that some of the Jews might escape. Before the Nazi motorized unit left, they were told that in a week or so, another convoy will arrive and take them to their destination. They left very little food for them and the water supply was very limited too. The girls told us about the humiliation the hell they went through and the brutality of the german nazis and the starvation some of them were sick some had already died they did not have any kind of medicine and a very limited amount of food but the nazis didn't want them to live anyway there were 54 of us in the convoy whatever we could spare food medicine clothing we put together and let them have it the other convoy arrived on the second day of our camp there They were also giving their rations to the deportees. We now had over 100 people who wanted to help these people whose lives were in danger. We wanted to help them as much as we could, but if we did so, we would break the Hungarian and German military laws. During the war, that meant immediate execution by firing squad. And just editorial comment throughout this book, being caught helping a Jew was execution. Even for a Hungarian soldier. After the cargo was transferred to our trucks on the third day the commanding officer of the other convoy decided to take three truckloads of people about 120 persons of those deportees somewhere to a safer place. He knew that what he was doing was very dangerous but since there were no German or other checkpoints on the way back home he said he would take a chance on it. He could take 120 persons No sick or small children. It was about a half percent of the deportees. It was a very sad, heartbreaking situation. He did not know whom to take. They had to decide amongst themselves. And finally, after the morning of the next day, after lots of hugging and crying, the chosen ones were loaded on the trucks. They took off, hopefully on the road to precious freedom. Shortly after they left, we pulled out, too, to complete our mission. We advanced about 50 kilometers when a German tank unit of 12 vehicles and several machine gun units approached us. The leader of them, a GS major, was talking to our commanding officer, and then they left. We knew there was no need for German tanks in this part of the country. And the reason they were there was these tanks were heading for kamenek Podolski. That left only one possibility that another brutal massacre was on its way. We did not know for sure at the time, but when we left Russia later and went back toward the end of January 1942, we heard the shocking news that after a few months of terror, all those Jews and non-Jews we saw last year in Kamenek-Podolsky were brutally massacred by the German SS Brigade. Also by certain Hungarian military units and memories of the Ukrainian militia. The Nazis used the same method for mass murder that they always did. They let the vic- victims dig the ditches, then cut them down with machine gun fire, and bulldozers covered up the dead bodies. Approximately 19,000 Jews and non Jews were killed there in the most savage and inhumane way. This is the end of episode three of the podcast, based on the book by George Hidvegi, written in 1996 the Holocaust in Hungary, and it can happen here.